audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church. For more information about our church or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. Well, good morning. I want to, I'm glad you're here. I want to welcome you here. Summer is here. Uh, What a crazy week we have had. I mean, just crazy heat that we have had. Uh, One day last week, I I left my iPad in the car. (laughs) Everyone, the collective, ooh. So I left it in the car just to run in and eat lunch at home. And I came back and the thing was like, just on fire and it, you open it and it gives you I don't know if you've ever seen this little message if you live in San Antonio you've probably seen this message but it says something to the effect of please I had to turn off because of how dangerously hot it was please get me in a better situation so that I can uh, turn on again well that's how hot it has been this this week but here at Sonoke with the heat of the sun with the heat of the summer comes the Psalms. We have loved this as a church. We're going to be spending some time together in the Psalms, which, by the way, um, every message that has ever been preached at Stone Oak is, is available for you on our website as a resource. And we, we organize them by books. So we've walked through James, Ephesians. We've walked through books like First. Um, Corinthians, 1 John, Job, Ecclesiastes, we've walked through uh, Genesis, we've walked through Luke, um, and we've spent a couple summers now in Psalms. And and the reason I say this is because we're only going to get to pick a few. And you may be here and you might have a favorite that that we don't preach. And here's the deal that we might have already done it. So I want to invite you, if you're like, well, I wish they would have preached this one, we may have already done it. And I want to uh, invite you to take a look at our website so you can get any resources that would be beneficial uh, for you. Uh, what a great privilege we have. This morning, I, I get to look at one of my favorite psalms, uh, Psalm 127. So if you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to Psalm 127? I believe, as you're getting there, that God has been doing a work in our church. Um, last week we looked at Revelation 3, the end of Revelation 3, and we talked about the, the Christ's words to this church in Laodicea. And what we talked about is we talked about the great error of living our lives and thinking that we are self-sufficient, that we need nothing. We talked about the great error of that. Jesus calls us to recognize that error, error so that we can Stop putting our faith and trust in our own resources. Instead, Jesus calls us to come to him, rely on him, and to repent of all of our self-sufficiency. That's what we looked at last week. Well, this morning, I believe that God is literally going to continue us in this message, drive this just a little deeper. Uh, It really picks up where we left off. So Psalm 127, just for some context, it's a song, uh, a psalm of Solomon. Solomon, um, by the way, I've come to realize, I don't know if you're allowed to have favorite biblical authors. 
that's like allowed, but if it is, he's one of them. I, I love Ecclesiastes, Proverbs, but you're going to start to feel the psalm feels very similar to that. But as we look at this psalm, we're going to look at it in two parts. Okay, first being a more general part, verses 1 and 2, and then verses 3 through 5 are going to be very specific and, and particular, and we'll, we'll look at that. Um, but here's what I want to do. I want to give away the whole message, the whole sermon, right now, right up front. Here it is. This is, this is what we're going to be looking at today. Ready? I don't care. We're going for it. Our God is sovereign over every area of life. Say it again. God is sovereign over every single area of life. So we'll just do an exercise. Think of an area. Work and career. He is sovereign. Relationships. Marriages. He is sovereign. Children and family. He is sovereign. Policies and governments. He is sovereign. Rulers, kings, presidents, he is sovereign. Nations, he is sovereign. From the smallest area of life to the biggest, he is sovereign. And because that is true, church, there are some profound implications and applications. And we're going to be picking those apart this morning. But our God is sovereign over all things. My hope is that, that the truth of that statement will sink into our hearts like it has never sunk before this morning as we dig into his word. Um, here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at this psalm, and we are going to call out two lies. We're going to call out two lies that are going to come to the surface. We're going to look at them, call them out, and then we're going to see a key truth kind of rise up for us to then apply. So with all that context said, let's look at verses 1 and 2. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives his beloved sleep. Let's pause here. I want us to notice the mystery of these verses. Uh, the Lord builds... Yet Solomon references those who build. The Lord watches over the city, yet there are watchmen. There is, you see this, there's, it's one of the, the grand and beautiful mysteries of life. Life in, life in the Christian faith is the fact that God is perfectly and completely sovereign. As Solomon says, he builds. He watches, yet at the same time, we build and we watch. God is sovereign over all things, over every area, yet we work hard for his glory. There is this balance. Have you ever thought about that balance? I'm sure many of 
of us have in one way or another because in some ways it's tied to the gospel itself. Here's what I mean by that. Um, We see in scripture so clearly that God is sovereign over our salvation. We see doctrines like predestination, election, where God does the work he chooses. We see this all throughout scripture that God is sovereign over our salvation. Yet, Scripture is also clear that we respond. Scripture is also clear that we repent. Scripture is, is, is also clear that we actively follow our Savior who calls us to come. See, God is entirely sovereign over our salvation, yet we still evangelize. Yet we still share the gospel with everyone who would hear so that they might come to faith, that they might respond. We continue that work. God is sovereign, and yet we respond in faith to the gospel. The way that these beautiful realities come together in this wonderful dance is something that has baffled Christians since the beginning of time. And it's wonderful. And what this text, what this psalm reminds us, shows us so clearly that that wonderful dance, that, that um, God's ultimate sovereignty does not just apply to our salvation, that God is not only sovereign over our salvation, but God is also sovereign over all creation, over every single area of life. So Solomon, again, let's just read this again. Let it sink. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is vain that you rise up early. It is vain that you stay up all night eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives his beloved sleep. Now, um, like I said, I want us to identify two lies. So we see here two lies that kind of bubble up. I want to call them out and call them out together as we kind of walk through this. Uh, Let's consider lie number one. Let's just jump in. Here's lie number one. God's sovereignty justifies our laziness and takes away our personal responsibility. Lie number one is that the sovereignty of God, the fact that God is sovereign, that that takes away, it justifies our laziness and takes away the responsibility that we might have felt. Notice that the text does not say, because the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain, because he's already building it. Notice the text does not say, because the Lord watches over the city, those who stay awake to watch do so in vain. That's not what our text says. No, the vanity is not found in the working, the building, or the watching. It's found in the working and the building and the watching apart from God and his sovereignty. Now that's vanity. Scripture has a lot to say. Take a little pause here to say about laziness, sluggardness. It's a fun word. Um, I could have picked a lot, but let's just read some of these. Found some, this will be fun, that speak directly to this. And let's start in Proverbs, has a lot to say about this. Again, same author, 
right? Solomon, the Proverbs. Here we go. Proverbs 12, 11. Whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits lack sense. Proverbs 12, 24. The hand of the diligent will rule, while the slothful will be put to forced labor. Proverbs 13, 4. The soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. Proverbs 24. The sluggard does not plow in the autumn. He will still seek harvest and have nothing. I, I saved my favorite one for last. Um, Proverbs 6, 6. Listen to this. Go to the ant, you O sluggard, Consider her ways and be wise. I love that. It's like, oh, you wise human, go take a look at that little ant. Look at her. Learn from her and be wise. He continues, without having any chief, officer, ruler, she, that is the ant, prepares her bread in the summer, gathers her food in harvest. He says, how long will you lie there, O sluggard? When you arise from your sleep, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. That'll preach. Like I said, I really like Solomon. Really do. Uh, but, but just in case you think this is just a Solomon Proverbs thing, um, let me give you one New Testament. Colossians 3, 23 through 24. Whatever you do, work heartily. As for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Now, I could have picked a lot more, um, many more, but you see the big point here. The lie that we need to identify is the belief that God's sovereignty justifies us doing nothing, justifies us in our laziness. We should never think, well, God is in control, so it doesn't matter what I do. We should never think God is in control so I can just sit here, enjoy my life, eat, drink, vacation, and know that anything kingdom-related, he'll work it out. He's in charge. He's got this. God is in control so I can be lazy. The lie here that we need to see is that the belief that God is sovereign somehow takes away personal responsibility. Scripture does not say that, church. Because he's in control, I don't do anything. There's no responsibility here for me. Church, let us never buy this lie. Our Lord is building, and you are his instruments. And your work, your obedience to do what God has called you to do, your, what you do, it matters. And I'll say it like this. The things that you do will have eternal ripple effects. Eternal ripple effects, they matter. And I'm not just talking about the full-time pastors and preachers and staff members at churches. What you do matters eternally, you moms, you dads. I'm talking to you managers, you in sales, you in military service, you entrepreneurs, you teachers, you builders. Whatever you do, it matters. It has eternal ripple effects for the kingdom. And this is God's sovereign plan. You might be hearing this, and you might be tempted to say, preach it, amen. 
I mean, get up and, yeah, they need to hear this, right? You might, bunch of lazy sluggards, right? Um, but be careful. Be careful. Because some of the amening in this could come from the fact that you have started to believe lie number two. That was the first lie, thinking that your work doesn't matter at all. The second lie is quite the opposite. The second lie is this, that the outcome of every area of your life is simply the product of your work. It's all dependent upon us. See, the first lie says God is sovereign, so I'm lazy. The second lie says this is all dependent on me, so I'm going to work hard. It, it's, I'm going to work hard. The, the second lie causes us to forget that God is sovereign and to start to believe the lie that we are somehow sovereign. It causes us to live our lives a bit like functional atheists who have good Christian things to say. As Solomon says, it is useless unless the Lord builds. Unless the Lord builds, you on all of your good hard work are laboring in vain. Unless the Lord is doing the work, this will not happen. You are spinning your wheels. Believing this lie that everything is the outcome of your work, your toughness, your brilliance, believing that everything that happens to you is just a product of what you do and what you don't do, believing this lie will cause you to take credit for all the success. Take crippling guilt for all the defeats and to live your life with this great anxiety and fear. This lie leads us to pride ourselves in our work ethics. This lie leads us to put in more and more and more hours, get up earlier than the rest, stay up later than all of those other lazy people, and we are gonna make something. We are gonna work hard because this is your life, right? But then this text reminds us, verse 2 says it so perfectly, it is vain that you're getting up early. It is vain that you're staying up all night thinking that it's all about you. That is vanity. See, when we forget that God is sovereign, the natural consequence of this is anxiety. We shoulder things that we were never meant to shoulder. And then we read text like this that says that, that God gives his beloved sleep and rest. And for, for anyone who has begun to, bought, to buy this lie, this lie number two, you're tempted to hear that and go, sleep? Rest? I'll rest when I'm dead. You're tempted to hear this and think, those things are the luxury of the lazy, not me. Not me. I wear my work as a badge of honor. Not, not me. Um, as we think of anxiety and stress, by the way, in our society, I'm sure that you have, been in, you have encountered it. I was doing a little bit of research um, this week and just kind of studying this, and I found a few studies that were recent, 2014 and 2016, I believe. But one, the first one is from the American Psychological Association as they studied, it was a survey to study stress levels across America. You know what they're gonna find. 
The message, and I quote, the message is clear. Chronic stress, that is stress that interferes with our ability to function normally over an extended period of time. Chronic stress is becoming a public health crisis. They go on to say most Americans are suffering from moderate to high stress levels with 44% reporting that their stress levels have increased over the past five years. Now, as I read this, I wanted to see if they kind of narrowed in on what those factors were. They listed four of them, ready? Money, work, economy, and the family. Those are the top four things that, that lead us to stress. So money, work, economy and the family. So really, it's money, 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 family. So money and family that we see here wrecking us and, and stressing us. More than that, there was another survey that came out uh, from the Elements of Behavioral Health, and this one targeted our young people. I quote, approximately 25% of adolescents have an anxiety disorder. 25%, that is one out of every four. Here's what this shows us. So many ways, our society, we are struggling because we're shouldering things that are not, we're not meant to shoulder. It's causing us not to know how to rest. It's causing us not to even know what rest and sleep and peace feel like. And it's so clear that Psalm 127 verse 2 is a verse that our world needs to hear. And it's also so clear that this is a verse that we need to hear. And it's also so clear that this is a verse that all of us collectively have a really hard time applying. See, lie number one is that God is sovereign, so what will happen will happen. Who cares what we do? Line number two is that all of life is a product of what I make it, so what I choose to happen will happen. And both of these lies are dangerous. Both of these lies are incredibly dangerous. And I heard a, a great analogy this week, and I want to share it because I think it'll help us as we consider this as we consider this dance, this balance, I want you to think of three kinds of boats. I know that's random. Think with me about three kinds of boats. First, a rowboat. Second, a motorboat. And third, a sailboat. Okay, think with me about these three boats. In a rowboat, it's all you. You're not gonna move across the water unless you're giving it the juice, unless you're doing it. It's up to your endurance, it's up to your toughness, it's up to your stamina to move that boat across the water. It's dependent upon you. Some of you are like, I don't like that boat, right? Second kind of boat is a motorboat. Motorboat, it's all about the motor. You sit there and this lovely motor just takes you across the water just moves you right across, right? And, and you, you move because it's propelling you. You do nothing. Some of you are like, that's more my kind of boat, right? There's a third. The third is a sailboat. Now, a sailboat is a little bit different. And see, in a sailboat, you do the work. 
You are working. I've never sailed. I'm not a sailor. Some of you might be. You can correct me if I'm wrong, but it is work. You hoist. It's the only time I use the word hoist is when I'm talking about sailing, right? You hoist things, you move things, you position things, you tie things, you're really good at knots, right? All of these things happen. But after all of that work, after all the hoisting, positioning, you're not gonna move apart from the wind. You work hard, really hard, really hard, and yet you are completely dependent upon the wind to move that boat. See, believing lie number one makes you feel a little bit like a motorboat. God's got this, I'm gonna kick back, passively chill while he moves. Believing lie number two is a bit like a rowboat. I am going to work and work and work because it's, it's all about me if I'm going to get where I want to go. Yet this text is driving us to consider another way, calling us to consider our lives more like sailboats, that, that we work hard, yet we are completely dependent on God to bring the wind, on God to move. See, lie number one leads us to be lazy sluggards. Lie number two causes us to be anxious workaholics. When the truth causes us to work hard while being completely dependent. I want you to hear me just one more time as I read this portion of scripture. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It's vain that you get up early, go to bed late, eating bread of the anxious toil, for he gives his beloved sleep. Here's the truth. God is working, so work hard as his instruments. God is building, so build well for his glory. God is watching, so watch with careful attention. In other words, God is perfectly sovereign, and you are the instruments of his sovereignty. Our God is perfectly sovereign, and you, church, as his people, are instruments of his sovereignty. So we do everything that we do with excellence to the best of our God-given ability, and we do everything that we do for his glory. And notice with me, church, these, these first couple verses are really wide, and they apply to everything. Big, broad, brush strokes, fill in any area, it applies, right? Well, now what we're going to see is that, is that Solomon is now going to take this general principle in the first two verses, and he's going to apply it specifically to one specific application, He's going to take this general truth, apply it to the smallest unit, the family. More specifically, to the family's procreation, to having kids. Listen to this. Verse 3. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb, a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior 
are, child, are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. So as we read over this text, we get it right away that God is sovereign over the home. Sovereign over us having and raising children. Because again, God is sovereign over every area of life. And just the real surface reading, I want to point something out here. This should be a little bit of an encouragement to any parent who may find themselves in the trenches right now. For, for You may be hearing this, parents, and you might be tired. You might be concerned about your kids, whether they be young, teens, grown children, whatever, you might hear this and you might be worn and you might be tired and you hear verse five that blesses the man who fills his quiver. You may be in a season where your quiver feels a little bit burdened and less of a blessing. Listen, whether you are Biological parents, foster parents, adoptive parents, caretakers, parenting is hard. And parenting can and often does lead us through times of exhaustion. And to anyone who hears that and says, amen, that's, yes, Solomon offers this encouragement to your soul that God is sovereign, our God is good, and those children are a heritage from God himself. This is absolutely true in this psalm. However, more than that, this psalm is also bigger than that. From this psalm, we, are, we know that we, as his people, can trust that he is sovereign. He is sovereign over every area of our lives. Through the tough seasons, we know, we trust that our God is sovereign. And this is a great encouragement for all of us, but God is sovereign over our homes. Whatever circumstances you find yourself in today, we rest and we trust that God is sovereign over the home. That God has not left us, that God has not made a mistake, that you, your family, your life are not a mistake. God has not left you or forgotten you. Our God is sovereign wherever you are, in whatever season, in whatever challenge that you are facing. My heart is heavy pastorally as I read this text because I know that the things we go through are sometimes very difficult Yet that difficulty doesn't take away the fact that our God is sovereign. He's in control. Verse, this verse says in verse 3, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. Meaning, not about us, about him. They are from him. We are not the sovereign. He is the sovereign. Children are from him. Solomon says, like arrows in the hand of a warrior, Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. By the way, any parent curious how many arrows fill a typical quiver? 
someone's got to be Googling that right now. How many fill a tip? So I wondered, and I researched it, and from, I'm thinking if that quiver holds more than three, Well, here's the context. A full quiver is considered to have 12 arrows. Oh, 12 of them. <laughs> no, some of us some of us might hear this and think, "Look, God's word says he wants to see large families." Some of us might you have heard that God wants us to have a quiver full, 12 of them. Like, God wants this, but please, church, be careful. Hear me. Please be careful. Please don't miss this, and please don't make this about you. Here's the reality. We can't heap anxiety on ourselves or on others that they or we were never meant to carry. And what I mean by this is the reality is that our God is sovereign over our families and God will give us, he will give us exactly the amount of children that he gives. They are from him. They are from him. God wants you to have exactly the amount of children that he gives. Whether that be zero, one, two, three, five, eight, twelve. I'm going to stop there because the quiver is technically full at that point. I don't know if it can hold much more than that. <laughs> The point here throughout this entire psalm, church, is that our God is a sovereign God. And before we move forward here, as we consider verses three through five, as we consider the family, whatever place you're in, situation that you are in, find yourself right now, don't forget that verses three through five come right after verse two, and that verse two still applies. And here's what I mean by this. When we try to take the sovereignty away from our God, it leads us to a life of anxiety, anxiety that we were never meant to bear. So, I love this. As Solomon says, God provides rest. Hear me, rest is only possible when we are reliant upon him, when we know and when we trust that he is sovereign over every and all areas of life. Specifically here when we trust and we know that God is sovereign over our homes just as he is sovereign over all of creation. We sang this morning about a God who is so great that he holds the world in, the worlds in his hands. Sometimes it's easier to believe that than it is to believe that he holds my family in his hands. But knowing that leads to rest. Solomon finishes by saying he will not be put to shame when, his enemies, when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Solomon here is illuminating one of the great blessings of children in the ancient world. Children, uh, in this time especially, were kind of the social security before the social security. Especially in this age. And Solomon was illuminating this blessing that these children are heritage, heritage from the Lord. Now here's what I want us to do though. I want us to go back to where we started. 
I want us to zoom back a little bit. God is sovereign over every area of life, and that truth tears apart both of the lies. Both of the lies. Both the lie that since he's sovereign, it doesn't matter what I do. Nothing matters. I can be a foolish and lazy bum, right? Tears that lie apart. Second lie is that, that it leads us to believe that everything we do, everything is dependent on us, leads us, drives us to become anxious workaholics. But then we remember that God is sovereign over every single area of our life, and you and I are the instruments of his sovereignty. And here's what this looks like. We are able to completely trust and know that nothing catches our God off guard. Nothing in any arena of life catches our God off guard. No struggle, no hardship catches our God off guard. We know that he has a plan even when we aren't able to see it. He has a plan for our lives, for our families. He has a plan for our churches. He has a plan and his plan is good because he is good and we can live our lives knowing even when we cannot see that, we know and we trust that. And because of that, we get the great privilege of living our lives for his glory, working hard not to earn God's love, not because we think everything depends on us, but we work hard because we want to represent our God well. We work hard because we want to image him. We work hard because we want to serve him. We want to bring him glory. We work hard because we want to be good stewards. We work hard because we were created to work hard and we flourish when we act and serve in the way that we are created. We work hard because of our, it is our greatest joy. We work hard because of our response to the gospel. We work hard because of love. The Christian life is working hard as though it depends on you while knowing and trusting all the time that we are nothing but instruments in the hand of our good and loving and sovereign God. And he has it. He has it under control. And this full dependency on him drives us to fervent and ongoing prayer and it drives us to dependency. As we revisit our analogy as we close, we work hard, we hoist we position, and then we trust in our God to bring the wind. Unless the Lord builds, we are laboring in vain. But church, because the Lord is building, our work and our labor is not in vain. Your labor in your home, your labor in your office, our labor together in this church, your labor in your life, it is not in vain because God is building. Let's pray together. Lord, as we started our service this morning looking up and beholding how big and glorious and great you are, we finish our time in your word by doing the same. We look up and we behold how good, how great, how sovereign, how wonderful you are. 
And as we do that, I pray that right now, miraculously, supernaturally, through your spirit, that you will stir in our hearts and cause us to grow in our faith and our trust and our dependence upon you. Lord, last week you, you, you revealed to us areas that we are relying on ourselves and self-sufficient. And now this morning, Lord, you just continue to move us. So Lord, we pray that we respond. We thank you that you are a God who is building. I'm reminded of your word when Jesus says that he is building the church. We know he's building. And so we build. And Lord, I just pray that you would give us the ability to know how to, how to apply that in all of the individual areas of our lives. Spirit, would you preach a better sermon than I can in this moment and apply it to the hearts of each and every one of us? All right. You are sovereign. Teach us, Lord, how we can be better instruments of your sovereignty. God, we give you glory. We thank you, and we pray that you would continue to work and move. In Jesus' name, amen.